the decisions I made were kind of opposite what everyone else is. I actually increased my team numbers because I felt that as we started doing this curbside approach, I think that we would need better team members inside to deal with things. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the veterinary marketing podcast from Whisker Cloud. I'm Adam Greenbaum, the CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Michael Tokiwa, who is, well, you do 10 things. You own a hospital, <laughs> you work with Vecral on the run, you've got another new startup you're working on. So we'll have to talk through all of that today. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm good. It was nice catching up. You just informed me the last time we spoke. I was getting, I just moved to California. I wasn't married yet. So I was like, uh, hey, my life's a little different. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah. But it's, you know, from what I see, it's all good, right? Life is really good, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's like, it's like something I tell friends and employees like the key to being successful in life is like literally just about like being consistent and caring. If you do those two things, it doesn't matter if you're like CEO of a tech company, you're a veterinarian, you're a practice manager, you're a, you know, LVT. It's like, if you, if you're consistent and you care, your life's going to be dramatically better than everyone else around you. I promise. See Adam already you're, you're teaching people. We're, we're like a few minutes into this, a minute and 12 (laughs) actually. And we're (laughs) teaching people things. This is great. This is awesome. (laughs) I know, man. I'm like, well, you're like, we were talking before, you know, a lot of people come on and, you know, they're like, there'll be like background noise. And I get it. We're in vet hospitals and, you know, like life's busy for everyone. And then like you come on with like the best camera I've ever seen. You look like a freaking movie star. You have like this whole setup. And I was like, I was like, I'm just going to turn my camera off. (laughs) Man, you're in 4K. I had like uh, antennas on the TV for a second there. That looked nice. But oh, he, just so everyone knows, he gave me uh, he gave me his tech stack. So same microphone. So we both sound great. But yeah, your camera was nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so I started every episode as a huge, just gigantic Marvel fan. As a guy who's sitting here surrounded by literally hundreds of pieces of incredible Hulk memorabilia. I like to ask everyone, what's your veterinary origin story? You know, it's you have a choice in life to go be anything you want. And a lot of people choose being in veterinary medicine. How'd you end up here? That's a long and convoluted question, but you can see this, but no one can't. Fat Thor. (laughs) (laughs) If you get that, you're my new friend out there listening. (laughs) So the profession. So I came at a completely different angle. If you talk to a lot of veterinarians, 98% said I wanted to be a vet at the age of four. And I knew that, you know, and I worked every day towards that as I decided to enter the profession when I was 29 to 30. And it was a life, as many things happen, it's a life changing event. So I'm in grad studies. I am in the PhD stream to do neuroscience and human medicine. And by the way, that is phenomenal. I think that Graduate studies is the, one of the most fun I've ever had. Just reminisced with a buddy of mine that hadn't seen 20 years about that. He was in the lab beside me. But we're sitting there doing that. And for me, it was like life was like, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? My parents are always saying, get an education. You know, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, because in high school, I wanted to be a drummer for a rock band, right? <laughs> so they go, well, why don't you get a background to? Okay, sure. No, not a problem, right? So I did that and did a biochem degree. 
at the end of graduation, some buddies of mine are applying to med school. Another buddy of mine decided to leave the profession and go into immigration. And he's phenomenal now. He's super high end up in Canada government. And then most of us are like, what are our options? And someone came in and talked to us and said, you've got two options. You can become a sales rep or you can become a technician. And I'm, I'm like, well, those aren't the options I want. <laughs> so, you know, and being a lifelong learner, hey, there's grad study. So I applied, got in, we're having a great time. And I love the lab work. I love the teaching aspect. What I didn't love was the fact that at that time, I think things have changed, is that your life for the first three to five years as a professor depends on how good of a grant you write and if you have funding and if you're going to continue before you get tenure. And I saw the stress on my supervisor's face every time he had to write grants. And I told myself, this is really not what I want to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the life-changing event was my dad died pretty suddenly. He was diagnosed with cancer and died within a month. Wow. And he was like the pinpoint for our family, the pivotal point, huge presence there. And he literally worked the day before he had to go in for surgery. And so the reflection on me was I didn't want something that I would have to work my butt off, that he wasn't really, he was a great lawyer, don't get me wrong. And, and as lawyers go, he was honest, which is, which is phenomenal. <laughs> And he did tell me once, he said he wanted to do medicine, but couldn't stand the sight of blood. So then he went into law, which was very interesting because it reflected on me as, as a career path choice. But, you know, he worked really hard. He worked for us like crazy, but I don't think he was ultimately happy. And I was thinking to myself, I want to do something that I'm going to be happy for 20 or 30 years. So I started looking at different avenues and I reflected upon our life. In, in our family, we always had animals. You know, I, I remember the story about our neighbor's bringing us pheasant eggs and we hatched them with an incubator and everything. And that was my mom was the animal person. And so there was always this sense of animals there. And I, I said, okay, well, what about a career in, in the animal world? And so I literally spent six months traveling around to different vet hospitals and colleges around my hometown and talking to veterinarians. And I decided this is something I want to do. And so I applied. And the good news about this and the luckiness about this as life is a little bit of luck is that because I was in the graduation stream, the graduate stream, I wasn't looked at as the other candidates. So I actually got in. <laughs> so, <laughs> and by the so, way, like I have heard that it is like harder to get into vet school than human medical school. It is based on the number of vet schools alone, just based on that statistic alone. And so it was very interesting. And then, you know, it, it was great. And being older... I had a great time in vet school too, <laughs> so I partied too much, but it was a great position. And then being older, a few buddies of mine were the same age, and we decided that where are we going to leave our niche in the profession, and it was more like, okay, I think ownership would be a better way because I'm too freaking old to do a specialty and come out, and so we took the ownership route, and that's where I ended up where I am today. There it is. It's that simple. No, I mean, that's that's really cool. And I, I do like that. You know, it's like I always hear stories of people who kind of figured out what they wanted to do, like in their late 20s, early 30s. It always blows my mind because I was like 15 years old working out of the house by 16, very independent. And I kind of just made this choice early on that like, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to build websites and do marketing and do those things. And I mean, this is before social media was even used for businesses. I, I kind of made those decisions. So I always envy people who kind of took some time to figure life out. Cause I mean, I was literally 17 years old, finishing high school and like going to work every day. And it, that was just so weird. And I've, I've lived this like really weird life. And I always like hearing you, I was like sitting there just thinking about, man, that would have been cool just to like <laughs> leave it kind of open. 
Yeah, but you know, Adam, like you're the visionary, right? You had this vision of doing something, just like this whole whisker cloud. It's it's this vision of doing something <laughs> different and better. And so it's funny because I look at you that way. I look at you as this visionary, and it's so cool to do what you're doing. <laughs> it's you know what? It's it's like we always look at what we don't have. It's like my wife and I had a truck then we were like you know what let's get a car we don't need this truck now we have a car and we're like oh man we can't get anything in this trunk we need a truck it just you know it goes back and forth all the time so whatever you don't have you want but yeah it's like you know i live out by the beach in southern california and you know i'll like go walk my dogs in the middle of the day and i'll see someone like giving like surf lessons and i'm like what a freaking life. It is Thursday at 12.30 p.m. And this person is teaching a bunch of people how to surf in the ocean. And I sit in front of a computer 16 hours a day. What a life. But that person's probably like, hey, you know, I get to do this all day, but there's probably not good benefits. There's probably not like a chance to increase your value as much as you'd like. And there's, you know, so I guess there's like payoffs to everything. I just have this image of Paul Rudd on forgetting Sarah Marshall as, as a surf instructor. I just have this Dude. image. Of that. <laughs> so seriously, that's easily in my top like five favorite movies ever, and I really hope people totally get that. The more you do, the less you do. <laughs> yeah. So funny, you know. I never get to drop like Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> You know, references on Whisker Talks. This is already my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk Marvel because you're the huge Hulk fan, right? And so I think oh, Love man. and Thunder is out today, right? That came out on Disney Plus last night. I'm sitting there literally. I'm nuts. But anyway, I'm laying in bed. It's like 1130. I'm watching it because I saw it in theaters opening night. And then I don't know. I like look at my wife. I'm like, I'm sorry. I hate this. I just I you know, and you'll never you'll rarely hear me ever say that about anything Marvel. But I, I looked to her. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just think this is so bad. And and you know what? <laughs> and typically you, you know, I, I go to the theaters. I watch the new Doctor Strange movie. And then I was like, blah. And then, you know, it comes out on Disney Plus. We watch it again. I'm like, you know what? It's not bad. But this. Right. No, 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 no. It was just it just doesn't do it for me. But it's so funny because this like tells you how nuts I am. So. Like in a team meeting, I recently like equated Marvel to Whisker Cloud and like really, really weird. If you're out there listening, like you're going to think I'm nuts if you don't already. But I'm, you know, I'm just talking about like, you know, when you're Whisker Cloud. So like we came out of the gate, we just exploded. And then in the last couple of years, we've grown by like 300%. So admittedly for me, that's been probably the biggest challenge of my entire life. Seriously, is like keeping up with the scale hiring the right best people, but also realizing that things have to change faster than we're maybe comfortable with. And we had like a three month period earlier this year or 200 veterinary businesses signed up with Whisker Cloud in three wow. months. And I'll tell you, for us, like no joke, probably shouldn't even say this, but whatever. It pushed the levies. I mean, I'm actually shocked. And this is a true, like, that's a testament to the amazing people that work here. Cause you know, it's like, and honestly, this is a good segue into like veterinary medicine with you and like COVID, you know, it's like the same way that we had to like figure out like, okay, the way we build websites, the way we do SEO, the way we handle reputation management, the way we handle social media, everything has to change right now. And I feel I don't want to say I feel horrible, but you know, I look back and I realize like the pressure I put on the team here was just immense because every day I was like, 
I had the whole company under a microscope, which is not a good thing. It's not what you want to do. And it wasn't like the individual people. It was the processes. So, I mean, I just told everyone, like, handle your job. Let me sit here and be the city planner. Let me just take every every little detail into consideration and think about how do we shave 3% of implementation time off of this? How do we save 5% of time off of this? If we can build some automation, can we save 10% of time? So that's all I was trying to do was literally just like find ways to patch the hole until we could like fully fix it. And I bring that back to Marvel because I think Marvel is, all right, I'm going to get really weird here. And then, so we're going to tie Thor love and thunder to my love of Marvel to whisker cloud to Marvel to you and vets and COVID. So I see this as like, and I also love LeBron James. Let's talk about LeBron James. All of this. If you're out there listening, this is how my insane brain works. So if you're LeBron James, my favorite athlete of all time, great guy, just makes his teammates better. He's everything you want an athlete. Here's the problem with being LeBron James. If you're not the MVP every year, if you don't win the championship every year, you're a bum. You suck. You're over the hill. You're done. Well, it's the same with Marvel, right? It's like, Marvel has this reputation of being the best. Well, okay, now there's Disney Plus. So now they've got shows on top of movies. They're doing more movies, more shows, more episodes. You can probably only stretch that so thin. And I think for them, they're thinking like, how do we, okay, can we skimp 5% on the the VFX here? Can we skimp 10% on the CGI here? Do we need all these production hands? And then you start to see things slip a little bit. But for them, it's like, well, hey, what do you want? Like you wanted more content. We had to do this. It's the same thing with LeBron James. You know, it's like you want to have a star player. Well, then the rest of the team's not going to be great. And it kind of slips. So, you know, Whisker Cloud, I was like so hyper focused on that. Like, okay, we, you know, I realized I'm a perfectionist. Whisker Cloud operated very much with OCD. And I'm like, this doesn't work long term. And I have to be willing to let an egg hit the floor, which to be honest, in, in seven years, I've, let very few eggs hit the floor even if i've had to like jump into fire to stop it um so this is a weird ramble for me but i want to like take all of this back to like you owning a hospital dealing with covid and we haven't talked about covid on the podcast in a while but you and i were talking about it before the episode and i think it's great because i want to hear from people it's like every hospital had to do something different number one and number two now that covid is kind of well, it's no longer a pandemic. It's a, I don't know what the word is. You're probably better at that stuff than me. But it's like, how have you, did, did all of this make sense or am I crazy? No, no, it actually makes a lot of sense. And it, it's funny that you talk <laughs> about, you know, letting an egg hit the floor and, and you know, having to look at all the changes and make things more efficient, and everything like that. I think that, and granted, this is my perspective on how everything happens. So COVID just happens and everyone just flips out. And what I noticed from the vet profession is, they were the mixed blessing of COVID. It made vets busier, but they certainly didn't know that. None of us saw that coming ever. Everyone saw, oh my God, our business is going to shut down. What do we do? And I just saw these cuts like crazy happening from literally shutting down the practices to literally letting people go. And what they didn't, it's funny because I, I always look at, you know, I think me and you can have these serious conversations about what is down the pipeline. And, and to link that to Marvel, right, Kevin Feige has this pipeline. He's telling the general populace, here's our five-year plan. But in his mind, he's probably got a 15-year plan going on there. And so I think that what I saw was lacking was this 
this long term. What happens when things start settling down? And so I saw a very reactive response to the events that were happening, as I think everyone in the world was reacting that way. And so I concentrated on a couple things. I concentrated on just a personally, how am I going to get through this knowing that the profession is filled with stressors, right? So I looked at things like that from my personal standpoint about what needs for myself could be met that would make things better. And then how can I meet the needs of keeping the team going and keeping the business going? And so the decisions I made were kind of opposite what everyone else is. I actually increased my team numbers because I felt that as we started doing this curbside approach, I think that we would need better team members inside to deal with things. And from the other thing I did was I cut my personal hours working so that I could keep working and extend and go through this. And so as a one doctor practice back then, I had five employees. And so I found that we were able to handle that influx of curbside, do things well, provide great customer service and great medicine and still move forward. And then the other thing I did was I cut my hours of operation. And the beauty of it is you never know what you're going to do. I used to tell team, I go, everything is kind of an experiment. We have to figure out what things are going to go. And if things work, they work. And if they don't, we we assess and readdress and move forward. And so I literally, my clinic is open from 9 to 4.30, five days a week and 9 to 1 on Saturdays. I am only there Monday through Thursdays. And so the team's there 8.30 to 4.30, 5 o'clock-ish because we get out fairly quickly. And so it was interesting because the fear for me was, well, what's going to happen with the revenue? But I put above that my personal well-being and the team's well-being so that we can continue. And there was beautiful changes that occurred to that. And it was funny because AHA had a, a little podcast seminar that we were on and I was part of it. And I, I literally said, and I say this all the time, I said, in veterinary medicine, one of the big things that we used to always accept was never getting home on time for dinner or making dinner plans and never meeting them. And with this system, I said, my entire team gets home for dinner. And it's very tough to say that in the veterinary profession. And so that was a huge change. The hours enabled us, no matter how crazy the day was, that people were able to mentally and physically recharge, that the next day you're not walking in like just going, oh my God, I can't handle this. I was just here. It feels like I was just here an hour ago. So that was a huge change. And as things go, and as we always talk about training clients, training pet parents, they train to our schedule. So revenue actually went up. And right, um, that was my big question. Yeah. And so, and it's funny because now, so that that's, I did that as of July of 2020, 2020. Was it July 2020? Yeah, I did that as July of 2020. So that it's ironic because I'm talking to people now and they're talking about how they just in the last few months have cut hours back and find that revenue is just as good and, you know, everything's good that way. So, you know, I kind of was ahead of the curb. It was a gamble, but it certainly paid off. And so I am stoked about that. I am way more energized about going to the practice. I, I think the the team is really cool. It's funny because I hear plans, right? Hey, what are you doing? What are you, oh, I'm going to so-and-so tonight. And I'm going, five years ago at any vet practice, there's no way that person could have said, hey, I'm going to go to so-and-so and be able to do it. And I think that's that's huge. To me, that's a game changer is enable us to have what you call regular lives right outside the vet profession and move forward from there. So that was the two big changes I made and I'm I'm never going to regret that. And I know it's working. And the reason why I know it's working is the practice just close to me 
change their hours, <laughs> decrease their hours. And I see, I see these changes happening, right? And it's one of those things. And then I'm also on this uh, advisory board for this new startup that called Dig Labs, which you should check out. I can introduce you and stuff. But one of the vet on there said that her clinic recent, the clinic that she works for clinic recently changed their hours and they're, everyone's having a better time, right? Going to, so, so I think it's possible to have a nine to five vet practice. And I'm fortunate in Jersey because for emergency, I've got like five referral centers in a 30, 35 minute drive from me. So in Jersey, I can definitely do that and create a great environment. And so I'm still talking to some team members uh, from other practices saying they're overworked and, you know, not doing well. And so it's like, I put a little video out there about, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of young vets are going corporate. A lot of people are going to the corporate world and everything like that. And I have a video that I made about, don't forget the little guy, because this is what we're able to offer. And part of that is the hours and lifestyle, right? So that's, that's what I have out there. But that's how I think we address COVID. And here's the other kicker that's still happening. I'm still curbside. <laughs> are you happy being still curbside so i think everyone is happy and what i mean by that the team is ecstatic right because it's like it a lot of the client team member interactions are what they found stressful my clients in my area are pretty happy i get very i'm talking i get less than one percent people asking about coming in i mean it's they look at it as kind of concierge service but here's the thing i did from day one is the other thing i noticed was you know how the vet would call the client Hey, this is going on and blah, blah, blah. I literally, I, and I still do it. I go out to the car. I've been out every appointment talking to the client face to face. The reason why I did it and I explained to my team is I go, how can I talk about it? A major medical concern with their patient without a face to face conversation, because I need to see their reaction. I need to have that. You can't do that on the phone, right? You cannot do that on the phone. And so I did that from day one. And what the clients did was they realized that this is a different setup than just being talked on the phone. And I think that's what's enabled me to continue to be curbs. But it's crazy because like I'll have three appointments on at once, so to speak, because we get so booked. But And I'm out there running around from car to car, right? Like I'll, I'll do my exams, come up with a game plan. And then I go, okay, who's in spot one, spot two, spot three. And I go out and I have these discussions with the clients. But I remember one client said to me, Dr. T, you got to get some rollerblades, man. <laughs> it's one of those things. But but it to me, it works out really well. And even with that, even with me going out, we're more efficient. So I have a lot of questions about this. Sure. Because, and I think that I... I think I'm in the minority. Like I, I drive everyone crazy with my thoughts. My, my best friend and his wife came out. And I'm really, really big into like AI and robots. I think it's the future. Like I see a future for me. I'm like retired and I'm calm. And then I'm just like Iron Man building robots and like making my own AI. But, you know, it's like I look at a lot of businesses and I just think that they are so hard. And I'll tell you, like Whisker Cloud, it's all I want to do. I just don't have the time. I like I want to build everything as automation. And when I think about curbside, it's just so much better. By the way, I everyone who knows me knows like my dogs are my life. I would do anything for these two, the cat too. That's like, I feel horrible for Nala. I say that just like that on every podcast episode. She's like literally sleeping next to me on a chair and she's probably <laughs> like, every episode you say my dog, you can't say my dogs and the cat are my life. But anyway, these three animals are my life and I'm obsessed with their health and I go to the vet more than anyone. But the other thing I'll say is like, when I go to the vet and it's curbside, I think it's great. Drop them off. This is going to make me sound horrible. I'm not a small talk person. And I also know that like the vet, the assistants, the nurses, the front desk staff, they're busy. 
and they have a million things going on. And I don't know if they get anything from talking to me. So I'm always like weird. Like, you know, like, how are you? How's everything been? I'm in my head. I'm always like, Hey, I'm good. Thanks. I hope you're doing well too. Like, I don't want to bug them because I know how busy they are, but man, I just think it must be so nice. And I love it. Then the doctor calls me and he's like, Hey, everything's looking good. I'm going to do a, we're going to order a urine test and do that right now for Sophie. We're going to, you know, we're going to trim their nails. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. Make sure I'm sending you home with some more Denimarin. Keep Sophie on that. I'm um, sending some Apoquel for Baxter. And other than that, we're looking good. And, you know, I'll see you in three months, six months. And it's like, great. They bring them outside, pay over the phone, which I love. And it's done. And I think that for a vet hospital, so when I first started Whisker Cloud, I was out in Denver and, and we had some customers out there and I would, I would just go and like spend the day at their clinics and kind of like look around. And like today I have like 40, 50 people working here back then I had like, well, me <laughs> like one person. So I would like go take pictures for their websites. Very, very, very boots on the ground. And I remember being at a hospital in Arvada, Colorado. And I was there for like three hours. It was the longest three hours of my life. And I was sitting there thinking, I literally don't know how you do this. A, I don't have the temperament to be there all day at all. But B, just like the noise was harsh if you're not used to it. Phones ringing, doors slamming, dogs barking, cats, people yelling at the receptionist, people trying to check out, like chaos in the back. Um, It was like a five doctor practice. But I mean, it was... Oh my God. I was like literally yawning exhausted after a couple hours there. We went out to lunch and after lunch, you're like, you want to come back and hang for a little bit? I'm like, Oh, I got a meeting. I couldn't go back. I was like, so mentally overstimulated, you know, and then we're like walking through. And for me, it was odd. This was the first hospital I ever went and spent time at. They're like, that's our freezer. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. What do you guys have? Like ice cream in there? They're like, no, those are the bodies waiting to be cremated. And I was like, what the hell have I done? (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) But I imagine curbside changes the entire inside of the business, right? Is it just like calmer and quieter? Yeah, I think so. It's funny because you're saying all the action going on. We, we are pretty busy, but the, the noises we hear, you get the occasional dog that's barking and everything like that. But I've got all these, um, even though I'm a Mac guy, I've got all these, what are the echoes, right? Amazon echoes throughout the hospital. So we're just blasting different types of music everywhere. And it's funny, <laughs> I think I have to go Alexa, pause because if I have to do heart auscultation, but it's funny. But yeah, it is. I think the calm mostly comes from the team because they don't have to deal with, you know, you can have some pretty intense clients and it, it's it's intense enough dealing with them over the phone that I think face to face is difficult for them. And so I think that 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 serenity there is because the team is is serene that way. We're, we're doing what we're, we're able to do. And this is coming from a people person. I'm a people person, but there is a lot of inefficiency when clients come in and just want to talk right and if they're in the if the building building want to talk that takes a lot of time away from what we can do and i find that the way we're doing it now is there's a great efficiency to it a great efficiency to it and um yeah and i think team numbers help and i think that curbside has been yeah it's been a mixed blessing for the practice and for the industry so, okay, I'm going to ask the weird question because I always I always like think about these things. And to be honest, last night my wife's cousin from Brooklyn came over for dinner and he was telling us about Burning Man. And he was like telling us about his week at Burning Man and I'm like I have weird questions for you. And he was like, "Shoot." And then I proceeded to ask him just like the most insane, crazy questions. And he was like, "Wow, no one ever asked stuff like that." So, I guess I'll ask you this. It's like I assume, well, maybe I'm wrong. How many 
rough client interactions are there a day or a week? Is it one a day? Is it one a week where people are frustrated? Things are taking long. They're upset about the bill. I would say I would say at my practice is probably one sort of interaction per day. And which makes sense. And, and I mean, one seems low, by the way. It's funny, though, because one can ruin your day, right? And so I think that I'll tell you, I, when you say it seems low, I'm actually pretty fortunate because the other thing that I think COVID enabled us as veterinarians to do is to actually wean down the clients that were incredibly difficult. I have fired more clients during COVID than I ever have in my entire career as a veterinarian owner. So we have really, and as you know, it's it's the, you create your culture, right? You create the type of clients they're in. I, I worked for a guy who, it was all about the bottom line and he created that clientele, which it was incessant complaints about the bill every office visit. So those are life learning lessons for me where it's like you don't do that. You create a good client. So I am very fortunate. I've got pretty darn good clientele out there. With every practice, you've got those particular clients. And with every practice, the full moon (laughs) leads to different changes. I kid you not. But for the most part, there are things. And a a lot of it is just getting your protocols down just miscommunications, misunderstandings, right? And things like that. So, but I would say for the, for the most part, we don't have any major, major altercations, but there's one, one sort of fire to put out per day, I would say. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's the same here. I mean, we did a, our, my leadership team, we did a meeting yesterday called our post-mortem meeting where we just look at last month and we kind of walk through like different things that popped up and, you know, it's like, I think what's always interesting is, this is where I get in trouble because I like talk about our customers without talking about our customers. But I hear so many stories from vets saying the immense stress that gets put on them from customers who kind of like do things outside of the norms. And then those same people, I like to look at our support tickets. I mean, I'm typically in meetings all day, but I, I keep that up all day. I look at our support tickets all day. We get 150 to 200 a day. It's actually gone down in the last couple of months, which... I don't have an answer for because we've been growing so much. Maybe we've just put people at ease with good customer support. But, you know, it's like we'll get an email at like 9 p.m. on a Friday night. That's like urgent, you know, and there's a hundred exclamation points. And then you open it up and it's like, can you remove this receptionist from the page immediately? She quit today. We don't want her anywhere on the site. Okay, it's late on a Friday night. My team's not here. I have someone who checks it on weekends as well. We kind of rotate that, but that same personal email, 4.30 a.m. Pacific time on Saturday. Hello, why is this still up? And I just like, I see stuff like that. And it's funny. Like I have to physically stop myself from being like, hi, this is Adam, the CEO of Whisker Cloud. Don't you think this is a little insane to pull this type of stuff? Like imagine if I called your office, if I called my vet at, 10 p.m. on a Friday night and said, I need Apoquel for Baxter now. Apoquel isn't a life-saving drug. So no, I would not need it right now. And then if I emailed at 5 a.m. the next day, I'm like, hello, is anyone there with my pills in their hand? He's itchy. He needs this. Like it would be, I would probably be fired as a client. <laughs> it's funny you say that. So yeah, so the, the things I'm thinking is that vets. So again, we talked about what is going on inside that practice right? What sort of culture, what sort of issues are going on? And and I, I think there's a lot to be said about this quiet quitting. I think that- Oh, we should talk about quiet quitting. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about that. But the other, the, here's, here's a funny story. I had a client, so I fired her. Long-term client, but incre- we tolerated her demanding. I joked that when I first met her, she literally walked into the practice and her dog's name was Molly. She goes, Molly, 
Molly, and everyone just looks at her, right? He <laughs> basically tells us that Molly's there, wanted to be serviced right away, right? So that that's sort of the interactions we always had. And, and I, I, I don't know how many times I had this discussion. Listen, this is not going well. We can't, we can't have this sort of relationship. And it was so funny because she goes, you're the only vet I've ever got to. And I found out later, no, she vet hopped. <laughs> when, when I wasn't available, she vet hopped. But so... But yeah, it's it's one of those things. But getting back to the quiet culture, it's I understand it. What I understand is, and is this a pseudo quiet culture, is the profession has a lot of issues. And one of the issues were how well team members were treated, how well they were paid, what sort of demands were put on them. And then COVID from veterinarians to support team members is there's a huge demand out there. And I kid you not, because I've been part of experiencing this is that you have some team members come on board and they have these expectations of, I'm just going to take it easy and I want to be paid this much and I don't want to do that. And so it's it's very interesting that way to see that sort of mindset. And I, where I understand it is if you came from a bad culture practice, yeah, I understand that. But if you're coming to my practice where the culture is really good and we're trying to do a lot for you and everything and we're got the decreased hours that I would just expect a little bit of motivation, so to speak. And I think that's pretty prevalent out there. I think the other thing that I see a lot of new grads are getting stressed out. I'll be frank with you. I get a lot of referral reports from 24-hour facilities. And what I see is because of the shortage of veterinarians, what I see and the demand of, of incoming cases I literally see this. I literally see these young vets that are one year out of vet school who are told, hey, get some emergency experience or do an internship or whatever. But what's lacking is there's not a lot of seasoned vets to actually mentor them because those seasoned vets are being pulled doing other things. And I see these sort of reports and workups and treatments that I can't tell you. I I think that I, I was jokingly going to talk to some of the owners I know at the referral centers and go, listen, you want me to come in for like eight hours and I'll just shadow this new vet and just guide them on what to do? That's what I'm seeing in the vet profession right now. It's 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 interesting. And the client, so from the downsides, the clients come in going, listen, they didn't know what they, first of all, the situation is not resolved. B, communication, whatever, whatever issues they have. And it, it's an easy fix for me because it's like, oh, just do this. But I feel bad. For those young vets out there, I feel bad because they're not getting the mentorship they need. And that goes back to me thinking about these little guys is that I think the the smaller practices could probably offer better mentorship than a lot of these huge, especially the corporate ones, I think right now because of the demand of vets. Um, so that's something definitely to think about if you're a young vet looking um, to start out. And I know it's this drive for emergency experience to drive for the finances. But but two things I can I can say for you. You're going to get the experience. You're going to get better mentorship out of smaller practice. And smaller practice are actually able to provide financial values for you that are surprisingly on par at times better than what the corporates are offering with the, even with their giant signing bonuses. So just think about things like that. So you brought up quiet quitting. And it's a term... I'm curious to see where you and I both fall on it. And I, and I have this weird feeling we might be on opposite sides of this one, which will make this okay, a riveting okay, yeah. segment. That's fine. So do you want to talk about your thoughts on quiet quitting or do you want me to go first? Let's hear yours and then I'll uh, chime in. Okay. <laughs> Let's see here. How direct do I be on this podcast? I'll say this. I think quiet quitting is kind of bullshit. And I think 
this is my perspective. Moved out of the house. I was like a junior in high school and I knew I had to go get a job. And one of the things I've always done is just understood that like it's on me to make my life great. And if I have a problem at work and at jobs, which I've had like everyone, it's on me to say something about it. It's on me to change it. And at least it's on me to make an effort. And what's interesting is, is this is the second business I've owned. And after eight years, nine years of running businesses and, and having countless, you know, like people report to me in other marketing roles, you know, it's like the quiet quitting thing is just interesting to me. If you're that miserable, you got to get up and just go. You got to go talk to someone, ask for help, explain what's going on. But like I've had people at Whisker Cloud in the past. And by the way, like Whisker Cloud in the past, we were a small startup. Now we're kind of a larger company. Before that, we were a small startup. We're still not like, um, this isn't GoDaddy here. I mean, we're, I, I think most people would walk in and be like, wow, this is a pretty big company. There's a lot of infrastructure, but we're still, we're still growing and we're still figuring a lot out. But I've had people who kind of just like, quit, gave up. And, you know, even during COVID, we had some people that were really struggling. The world was crazy. It's scary outside. But the quiet quitting shit, I'm sorry. It's like, you know, you got options in life. I have someone near and dear to me. Well, actually, can I talk about it? <laughs> I have a I have someone near and dear to me. Let's just say the closest person to me on this planet. Everyone can fill in the blanks there who is very, very unhappy with her work life right now. And after talking with management, she now feels that it's not going to get fixed. Great. We're going to get you ready. We're going to do your new resume. We're going to clean up your LinkedIn. We're going to make you an awesome cover letter. We're going to go get you another job because you have an awesome resume. You're incredibly smart and you'll be great there. And that's, it's just that simple. You go, you have actual data as to what's bugging you and what's going on. And you talk through it and you give the team a chance to make it right. And they'll either make it right or they won't. And if they don't, then it's not the right place for you. And you just got to go. Whether you work at a vet hospital, whether you work at Whisker Cloud, if, you, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And not every job is for everyone. So that's kind of my thoughts on quiet quitting. If you're not feeling it and you're not happy somewhere, just go, just go do your thing. You got to go somewhere else and you got to go find what's right for you. Not every job is right for every person. But when you're quiet quitting, you're hurting yourself because you're not progressing your life in any way. You're hurting the company. You're hurting the coworkers who you probably have good relationships with. And I just find the whole thing to be very stupid. Whereas you have the ability just up and leave one day. So those are my thoughts. I have this weird feeling you're going to be super opposite of me. No, actually. So I guess I didn't explain it right. I used the word entitled. I think yeah, oh, I, yeah. I agree with you. I think I was told the other day that some corporations are saying, hey, we want you in the, we want you to come back to the actual physical building two to three days a week. And they're saying, no, to me, that's entitlement. It's not. And throughout my entire career as an owner, I, I used to, the whole thing about millennials, whatever, all these different topics came up. I always struggle and I seek what I call old school values towards work. Not that you're a workaholic, so to speak, but you have that responsibility, you have that motivation, you are reliable and loyal. Those are the things that I think the quiet quitting I see is entitlement that I don't want. And where I say I understand it is, let me give you an example. So I actually had a, an associate, she came on board part-time and she had worked at a practice for seven years. She told me straight out before she even came on part-time that, that her parents were going to help her fund and buy her own practice. And she's done that and she's successful. And I think that's great. But during that time, what I noticed with her is she had, she had PTSD and she had PTSD from her former practice. It was amazing some, how certain things would come out I'd be blown away by why you're reacting this way to this client or whatever. And it turned out that that's the way 
the culture of the other practice was. So where I understand it is if you have a little bit of PTSD from a practice, I understand that. But if you're making active choices that are detrimental, as you say, to yourself, because everyone, you know, to say, I love it when people go, well, I'm, I'm doing my best, but you, you, everyone should try harder, right, in life. You should, you should try. If you want to grow, you always have to ha- get out of your comfort zone and try. But I find there's a, there's a little bit of lackadaisicalness and an entitlement is, no, I just want this and you're going to give me this or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do anything more for you. And I, that's where I think quiet quitting sucks. But I understand your mindset. But when we take you out of that environment and we provide you with a better environment, then look into yourself and do better that way. That's how I look at this whole quiet quitting thing. It's great. If you can work from home and your company's going to allow you to work from home, awesome. But if they say, listen, you know, can you come in two days a week? What's really wrong with that, right? You know, I understand there's all these jugglings of responsibilities and stuff, but we all manage to do that. I mean, you and I, we would look at, look at the things we have to do, right? Just to get a business going and everything like that. And so I think that, you know, I, what I'm looking for as an employer is, is you are not showing me desire, drive, loyalty, responsibility by just entitlement, right? You know, this entitled type of thing, if that makes sense. I just saw something the other day that said A players thrive on self-management, B and C players have to be managed. And I'll tell you, that's been the biggest shift at Whisker Cloud. And I'm going to be really, really upfront about this. And I'm going to have employees and past employees who listen to this and get pissed. In the past, when we were smaller, I was okay because I had to be money conscious. So I had to say, okay, I got this person who's young and they're going to try really hard, but they're not an A player. And I'm going to be able to get them for 10% less money. And I think I'm going to go ahead and do that because I, I can save the 10%. And maybe I can, maybe me and their new manager is enough to motivate them up to get them to a, you know, a B to B plus as instead of a B minus or C plus. And that's really how Whisker Cloud grew. And now, literally from top to bottom, it's like, we do. I do one-on-ones every week with my leadership team. I believe my leadership team does uh, one-on-ones every other week with their direct reports, and then it keeps going down the line. And in literally, like the notes we take are basically: Is this person an A player? And we also ask: Can we make them an A player? And to be honest, we're just at the point where it's like, if they're not an A player, we don't think we can make them an A player. We we can't keep them. And it's weird to like talk about it like that because you know you have employees at vet hospitals who need a job and who care and love animals and love veterinary medicine and want to talk to people, but also as a business, and this is also me. Like I'm obsessed with when I say obsessed, I mean like beyond obsessed. I'm like OCD about how we email customers, how we talk to customers, and I'll tell you, it's like there there is not a week. This morning, I messaged our amazing direct senior director of strategic accounts and sales. Lauren, if you're listening, your new title is too long. But (laughs) I messaged her about someone on our sales team. And I'm like, the notes from their demo suck. This is only going to hurt us. Can you talk to them about it? Now, she's probably like, kiss my ass. It is. (laughs) She's in Minnesota. I'm in California. So I send that at like 6 a.m. my time. It's 8 a.m. her time. She's probably like, dude, it's Friday. Can you kiss my ass? But on the flip side, it's like, how many times do you have to train on this? How many times do we have to do it? When you have an interaction with a customer that lasts an hour and you provide us with shitty notes and then that person wants a website and they're like, yeah, I talked to so-and-so about it for an hour, you know, and I said, I like this, 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 and this. It's very upsetting when like we don't have notes on that. And for me, it's like, I have to talk to my team about that. So, you know, we talk about like all of the training, all of the attention to detail. I mean, 
it starts at the top with you at your business or me at my business on like setting the tone of the littlest things. I just, I just sent everyone on my leadership team, a book called atomic habits. Uh, If you're out there, have you read it? Ironically, I downloaded it last week. I haven't yet listened to it. Oh my God, dude, you're going to love it. I mean, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg was one of my favorite books ever. In fact, like years ago, it helped me with my anger issues because I had like, the worst anger issues on earth. I was not able to control them. I still have the exact same reactions and the exact same like internal explosions, except I've like completely figured out how to like turn that into work fuel or whatever, or workout fuel or life fuel and not let it just come out into just like me getting frustrated and upset. So like, I love books about it and it, it, and it keeps going on and on to basically say like so many people are focused on the goal. I'm young. I'm, I'm a vet. I'm just, I want to own my own veterinary practice. I want to be a millionaire. And all you do is you focus on, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Well, how are you going to get there? And that's what I love about the book. And that's what I was saying to my team is like, you guys set up goals for your direct reports, but are we putting them in a position to hit those goals? Have we built the systems in place to get them there? So we've all been like reading this book together and talking about it. And I just think it's so great to just be like each person, entry level person. Hey, this is your goal. This is how we're going to get you there. And this is what you need to do every day. So what's been really interesting at Whisker Cloud, I don't know how you do this like a vet hospital, but what we're doing at Whisker Cloud is basically just like we're putting KPIs for every single position. Now we've been doing this for a couple months, but now we're tracking it daily. How many calls did X person make? How many support tickets did this person do? How many websites did this person build this month? And we're building systems, A, to track it, and B, to make sure they're able to do it. And it's just been really interesting. And I and I actually think at first, people were stressed about it. And then people realized, wait, wait I'm actually hitting these goals because of the systems in place. My career is going to be better. And it's been really great. So... I don't even remember how we got to this point. We're talking about quiet well, quitting. It's, but. It's, it's funny because I've, I've been thinking about a few things when you say A, B, C players. It's like in the past, yeah, you always want to get a B player that you can convert to an A and and A players, me and you both agree, A players are our best employees. No ifs, or buts because they're the ones that we know are going to be self-managing and self-improving and have the best opportunities for moving up. What's facing the industry right now in the veterinary world is you've got a bunch of B, C players that are demanding wages of A players and aren't moving up from BC because of that entitlement thing. And so I think that's one of the major issues that we do have in veterinary medicine. And I think a lot of this is, you know, corporates come in and they buy and then they start making things efficient. And I think some of the things that I personally notice is that the the C players are then let go. And those players are the ones that are in the job market and looking around. And I find that there's there's a correlation between that. So I think that as a as a employer, you have to be very careful about how you do the interview process and look at the work balance that you see with them. It's very interesting. And, and as far as tracking goes, so here's a little thing that we do is, is if we're rocking and rolling, I just, just, I go, okay, how many appointments did so-and-so see? How many appointments did so-and-so see? How many appointments did so-and-so see? And th- those are our little tracking to see because it tells me, is someone not really pulling their weight? And if, if they are, what struggles are they facing so they can't? see as many appointments is someone compensating for that and i do notice you you i think that what curbside has allowed me i can see a compensation by you know star employees to non-star employees it's very That's interesting cool. that way yeah it's Isn't very it cool? interesting that way. yeah when you get into data on that stuff it's just like my god that is just so interesting oh, like, right numbers don't-, don't lie right numbers don't lie i love that you have to take away all the personalities and everything, but numbers don't lie. And that that's what we have to, to do. And, and I, I think that's 
as a veterinarian, when I first started, I go, oh, I don't want to look at numbers. I don't want to look at trends. Right? <laughs> it's like, no, that's what we need to look at. Those are those are the ways we can then manage. But I think it's great that you're having these meetings. I think it's great that you're setting these goals and moving forward. I think that's what's lacking in the profession is actual having discussions and meetings and and moving forward. And we're finding that at, at my little place, what we're finding is that if we create these little, just little huddles, we call them. How's the day going to go? What are the issues we're going to face? Or how, you know, yesterday this happened, what are we going to do and everything like that? I think just getting a game plan for the day, talking about how we can improve what happened yesterday. I think those are huge moments. And it gives me an idea. I sit back and listen because it gives me an idea to see, okay, who's contributing here? What sort of thought patterns are here? And, and what I love is if someone goes, why don't we do, I love it when someone goes, why don't we do this? Because it's like, especially if I've never thought of that, blows me away so why, I, I why are my people son, afraid why are people wait actually i want to hear what do you tell your son <laughs> I <was laughs> tell my son i said dude i have done some crazy things in my life if if you come home one day and you tell me that you've done something that i didn't expect you to do i'm gonna be impressed <laughs> <laughs> i like immediately stopped myself to talk about like you and your son just because literally man like it's like so obvious on your social media what your son means to you <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is like the star of your social media. And it's always cool for me to see that as someone who had, all right, let's not get all sappy everyone, but as someone who had just an insanely abusive father who just like tortured me, it's always cool to see stuff like that. Cause I always, well, I mean, life turned out good for me and maybe it would have been a lot different if, if I hadn't gone through that. Another reason why I love Bruce Banner and the Hulk, but yeah, it's just cool. And it's cool that like, some of the situations that you're seeing, you can go pass on some of those situations. You can pass on that knowledge. Yeah. Now I understand your Hulk. Now I understand why you're. Oh yeah. It's me, me and Bruce Banner, man. It's literally an almost identical story other than the, you know, his father murdered his mother. You kind of take that part out of it and it's, it's such a similar story. So yeah, it's why it's, it's been my thing for life. It's funny because my favorite character, so I'm going to age myself. I, I was into Wolverine in 1982. <laughs> well, hey, I, I, Wolverine's probably number two for me. And it's funny because like it, it, he's Canadian. He speaks fluent Japanese. Right? <laughs> just, just blew me away, right? I go, oh my God, I can relate to this guy. Um, but it's like, it's, it's, it's funny that way. So, but yeah, you're putting a lot of perspective. Again, I'm learning a lot about you. We're, we're, we're creating some lessons, I think, for life for people. This is awesome, Adam. <laughs> I know. It's like, no, I mean this, and it's funny. I told you before the episode, I'm like, Hey, what do you want to talk about? I know you, you know, you know what you're doing. Like, let's just see where this ends up. You never know where it's going to end up, but it's great. And so what I do when I'm on these episodes is I like, I write down like 29 minutes, 50 seconds. I have fired more clients during COVID and I do those for the intros. And <laughs> for most people I have like three, I have like 30 for you here. <laughs> it's just like talking about like hiring more people. Numbers don't lie. Doing huddles. It's like, I've like taken so many intro notes. It's unreal, but no. And again, like I, I think like conversations like this and we've got like two minutes left, but I'll say this, like, you know, for conversations like this, I think it's just good for other veterinary owners. I mean, you're out there, like you consult with all these companies, you've got the radio show, you do the videos, like you do a lot of stuff. You put yourself out there a lot, but obviously like at Whisker Club, we work with thousands and thousands of vets. They're all different. Some of them are just so in their bubble. They just don't understand it. You know, we have people who email us or call us and say, take the phone number off my website. I like lose my shit every time. I'm like, honestly, just don't even have a website. If I mean, if you're going to be if you're my vet and, you, and I can't 
find your fucking phone number. Like we're not doing this. And if you're going to do that, there's not a successful business on earth, a local business who says, I don't want my phone number out there. If that's what you want, then don't even bother with the website because we're not going to be able to help you. I think one of the lessons that we have to take from veterinary medicine is is a lot of people in general don't like change. I think people in veterinary medicine don't like change more than average people. And I think you have to be open and willing to change. And if you're that person that wants that change for your team, you have to come up with the protocols and the the means of getting them to accept and embrace that change. Because I think if we don't change, change is progress to me. And if we don't change, how are we going to progress? How are we going to get better? Um, you, you know, the name of my business puts me on edge because I'm always looking at new ways to make things better. And so it's, it's, it's very interesting that way. But yeah, you have to embrace change. And I find that these people who are stagnant, I always say you'd never want to be stagnant in anything, in life and anything, and especially in veterinary medicine, because you're never going to get and you're never going to get anywhere better. Damn it. You just give me another freaking intro. <laughs> Damn it. You're, you're just dropping dimes today. <laughs> So you do videos, you do stuff with Vet Girl on the Run. So if people want to learn more about you, you know, where do you want them to go find you? Oh my God. It doesn't matter. I think that um, the latest thing that I do, so the the Collaborative Vet is my YouTube podcast thing. I think that's where most of the information will come from. But yeah, that's where I am. You're the man. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to, well, this is going out in a few weeks. I'll make sure everyone has links to the YouTube channel and all that fun stuff. But you know, we, you and I cannot go as long as it's been without talking again. That was just way too long. We both suck. <laughs> Don't you love how we have this like bonding moment? And then I end it with we both suck. And yeah, you know, the collaborative vet, you can go into YouTube. You can search it. It's right there. Go subscribe. Go watch these awesome videos. It's great. You know, if you're listening you're to this podcast. There. You're on the video I'm there on too. there. Yeah, I'm you're on there. You're on there, man. You've had, and you've had a lot of my friends on there. Like you've had a lot oh, of people yeah. on it's, posted. Yeah, it's. Yeah, so one thing that this has enabled me to do is network and connect, and that makes my day. And, uh, you know, speaking with you about stuff like this, I love conversations. The reason why I love doing this is that it makes my day, it makes, it just helps me develop as a human being. So thank you. Hey, man, this was great. And listen, if you're out there, probably already subscribed, but, you know, listen, like, share, subscribe, rate the Whisker Cloud podcast, and hey... My friends at Pet Test just launched a new podcast too for veterinary medicine. Go check it out. It is awesome. It is killer. It's a lot different than this. Probably less curse words, (laughs) but it's going to be awesome. So go check that out and uh, everyone have a great week.